NFL Week 11 Sunday slate may have not been appealing, but it didn't disappoint as there were a few key games that came down to the wire to impact both the AFC and NFC playoff picture. Michigan's big playability shocks Ohio State and Columbus with a couple of other surprises as we get closer to concluding the college football season. A jam-packed Western Conference in the NBA, and don't look now, but the Lakers are making their move. A Maple Leaf legend passes away, the MLB hot stove is barely at a simmer, and the latest with the World Cup, back on the scene as we end closer to the final month of the year with everything that the sports world has to offer. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Now that the Thanksgiving weekend is over and all of your leftovers have been polished off, it's time to start off a new week as we get back to smaller portions of food and drink, but bigger portions of sports chatter with the first of two pods to usher out November and into December as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, or really last Monday when you think about it, I welcome you guys and gals back. Plenty to get into as I did not have a podcast last Thursday, of course, with Thanksgiving. So a lot to digest and even dissect when it comes to what has happened here over the past seven days. And NFL, as we all know, with the Week 12 concluding tonight in Indianapolis with Pittsburgh and the Colts, not a good game whatsoever. But we've had quite a interesting weekend with the three games on Thanksgiving. Yesterday, not really a good slate of games, but we did have some interesting endings that impacted the playoff picture. And to start us off with the winners and losers of the week, With the first and only winner, because of the way the games were this week, I just have one winner, one loser, but the first winner and only one this week, I'm going to give it to the Cincinnati Bengals, only because no Jamar Chase, a lot of people thought that he was going to be in the lineup as of yesterday in Tennessee, but that was not the case, 
And then the Titans, who were probably looking for some revenge based on the divisional game last year. But the Bengals did what they had to do. They were methodical as far as their offense goes. But we know with Joe Burrow, he's always going to be cool in that pocket. And with the game tied at 13, he had the big touchdown there in the early part of the fourth quarter. The pass to the sideline where T. Higgins corralled it. Punched it in the end zone. I know there was a penalty late on the... Titans, which pretty much iced the game for the Bengals there late. But coupled with what happened in Jacksonville with Baltimore and the Jaguars, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But Cincinnati now puts themselves in good position, although they're tied at the top of the AFC North, but still that half-game edge goes to Baltimore based on the head-to-head matchup earlier this year where the Ravens won in Baltimore. But that was a game that... With a very busy schedule coming up, and I believe they do have the Chiefs on deck this coming weekend, and the Chiefs continue to win, this is going to be the start of a big stretch here for the Bengals as they try to get themselves not only in good footing in the AFC, but maybe even try to overtake the Ravens for the AFC North, and they won't meet until Week 18, the final Sunday, NFL Sunday of the year, so that was a huge win for them, and let's see how they can continue to build off of that as they get deeper into this NFL season. So they're my only winner this week. And as far as my only loser, I'm going to give it to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's almost as if they just want to give the NFC South away and then there'll be some upheaval down in Tampa to where probably Todd Bowles will be gone. Who knows if Tom Brady is also going to finally head off into retirement. But the Buccaneers, for whatever the reason, they were unable to put away the Browns in Cleveland yesterday to the tune of a 17-10 lead. It seemed like from the midway point of the third quarter, even into the fourth quarter, and deep into the final frame, that Tampa looked like they were going to hang on and win. But with the Browns being able to get that big catch by David Njoku, the tight end in the back of the end zone, one-handed, I might add. And then in the overtime, where the Buccaneers punted twice, if you could believe that, in a 10-minute overtime, It seems as if if one team gets the ball and even if they march down the field to kick a field goal, it's just going to be another opportunity for the now team to get the ball back to see if they can either tie the game or win it. But as bad as that overtime was for Tampa, it certainly concluded with the touchdown run to Nick Chubb set up by the big catch there by Amari Cooper up the sideline and the Browns were able to Somehow, someway, pull out a victory from their rear ends and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go back to the panhandle just scratching their heads, just wondering what the hell went wrong and now they find themselves in a division where it's pretty much separated by a half game at this point because the Falcons, even though they lost in Washington and had a chance to win at the end, but they are a half game behind because they have not had their bye yet. They're 5-7. and seven. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 5-6 and six. and then you have... Carolina and New Orleans right behind them as I mentioned in a division that they do not want and they're certainly just willing to give it away as an early Christmas gift. So Tampa gets my loser of the week and it was a weird day yesterday because you had a lot of these games come down to the wire where just as I mentioned Atlanta had a chance to win the game 19-13 knocking on the doorstep right there at the goal line and what does Marcus Mariota do? He throws an interception. Granted it was tipped up in the air and intercepted there in the end zone. But Atlanta certainly had a good shot to be able to put themselves in first place with a win yesterday. And of course, that didn't happen. Speaking of Baltimore and Jacksonville, as I mentioned a little while ago with the Bengals, 
The Ravens had a 27-20 lead. Lamar Jackson was not great in the game. He did throw for over 200 yards, but his completion percentage was right in the middle, 50%. But for Jacksonville to come down the field there late, and I do not trust that Raven defense in the least. No surprise there as their defense has blown so many leads in the fourth quarter this year. And here's another one, this time on the road, where we've seen a lot of these leads being blown at home. But for Jacksonville to come down the field, not only get the touchdown, but then go for too late, which was a smart move. And we saw that a lot, as I'll talk about later on with the Chargers. But for Doug Peterson and company, knowing that this season, which started out pretty promising, has now bottomed out. And they figured, what the hell, let's go for the win here. Nobody's going to care if we tie and then go into overtime and let's say lose or even, dare I even say tie. But for them to go for two and win the game there, for Jacksonville to win, at least they feel good about themselves beating a very solid opponent. And for the Ravens, it's just another game lost. And even at the very end where Justin Tucker was about to break his own NFL record. Remember, he kicked that 66-yarder in Detroit last year where he hit off the crossbar and threw. And he went for a 67-yard field goal where the range, boy, as it was going up, you had a thought where this is Justin Tucker. This guy is going to be a Hall of Famer that it was going to go through. But it fell about three to four yards short. And therefore, Jacksonville went on to win 28-27. to Another game that came down to the wire, in fact, two actually did, one didn't really mean anything for one team, but the other it meant a lot. And that would be the Chargers as they went to the desert to play the Arizona Cardinals. And there they were at the very end of the game, 24-17. They get the touchdown and then they figure, what the hell? Brandon Staley, we all know he's a riverboat gambler when it comes to fourth downs or even two-point conversions for that matter. Similar to Doug Peterson in that regard. But we all know Peterson does have a Super Bowl victory in his back pocket. But for the Chargers, and they needed it. They figured that why even bother going into overtime? We do not want to have the opportunity to possibly lose. And we know the Chargers' fortunes when it comes to these games sometimes where they seem to pull out a game or they seem to look like they're going to be destined to win. And the next thing you know, they hit the upright and they lose. They figured, the hell with that. We're going to take it into our own hands. And they were able to get the two-point conversion there in the final seconds to beat the hard luck Arizona Cardinals. And I know Kyler Murray expressed his frustration there in the post game you know they have a long offseason ahead and who knows if the coach is going to survive this and they already paid the big money to Kyler Murray but it's not about them now it's about the Chargers and with their win at least they got themselves to six and five and it was much needed because the AFC has become a log jam as I'll get into in a little bit and then you have the flip side of that where the Seahawks who have been playing well yes they did stub their toe recently and then now yesterday having a walk-off game in overtime to where Josh Jacobs, who had, what was it, 227 yards rushing, but over 300 yards total in the game, 86 yards for the walk-off touchdown as the Las Vegas Raiders win 40-34 to and really put a crimp and a wrinkle into the Seattle Seahawks as far as not only the division because of what happened in San Francisco, but even quite possibly for scenario when it comes to the wild card. And we still have plenty of weeks to go to finalize everything. But if they would have come out victorious, it still would have put them in good stead for the division. Although they would have been a half game back. Right now, they're a game and a half back. So that was a crushing loss for them. And for the Vegas Raiders, we all know it's been a long year to this point. But that was a game considering the heroics of what Josh Jacobs did. And the amount of yards that he compiled throughout the course of the game. 
that was one that at least the Raiders for one week could rally around and say, maybe we could use this as momentum to close out our year in a positive note. Those games right there, Baltimore-Jacksonville, Los Angeles-Arizona, the Atlanta-Washington game, all coming down to the wire and all making an impact. And even Las Vegas and Seattle, how can I forget that? And when we take a look at the whole picture, I will segue to that later on, but those were the games that yesterday did not look sexy, did not look appealing to say the least, and here they were at the forefront of some last-minute decisions, last-second play calling, a big attempt there from 67 yards, which not to say could have changed the complete outlook of the AFC, but now, as I mentioned with Baltimore and Cincinnati, they draw even. And with some of the other games that took place yesterday, the Jets with Mike White, and we know about the controversy earlier last week at this time, and I blasted the Jets, Zach Wilson, for him not backing up his defense, and that atrocity last Sunday in Foxborough. But with Mike White on the center and Zach Wilson inactive yesterday, Mike White did a phenomenal job. I mean, what could you say? It is the Bear defense. Nobody's going to confuse them with the Super Bowl shuffle and the 85 Bears. But at least for one week, that move by the coach, and it was a right move by Robert Sala because he had to do something to discipline his player. And he did say that it's quite possible Zach Wilson could be down the road at some point. But if Mike White is going to have games like he did yesterday, you could forget about it for Zach Wilson. He'll be riding the pine and holding the clipboard as this season continues to play out. But a big win for the Jets yesterday, 31-10. Mike White, 315 yards. Solid performance, and of course the Bears, they've been out to see pretty much over the last four or five weeks, even with Justin Fields, who was out this week with the bad shoulder. You had Trevor Simeon perform, and as expected, the Bears were a no-show there on offense. Houston and Miami, what more to discuss there? The Texans are the worst team in football. The Dolphins continue to ride high, and they have a very interesting stretch here with three straight road games, with the first one being in San Francisco next week. So that should be a marquee matchup or one of the big matchups this week, and probably the best one when we look at the Week 13 schedule. But we'll talk about that later on. But the Dolphins continue to roll. Tua falls short of 300 yards passing. But again, it is the Texans. Not much to expect there. So the Dolphins cruise to now 8-3 and to where I'll go back to the Thanksgiving games in a minute. I just want to pretty much go through the Sunday slate here. You also have the... Niners, I'll talk about them real quick. 13-0, nothing spectacular about this game whatsoever. But the one thing about the Niners is that their defense is playing stout. And if you looked at the stat here over the last four weeks, they have not given up a point in the second half of any of these games. And I get it. You can look at the Saints with Andy Dalton at quarterback and a few weeks back against the Rams. We all know that the Rams are dead team walking. And a lot of the opponents that they played here, nothing great. Understood, but they are playing NFL teams and by them pitching shutouts in the second half and this team is going to be dangerous come January and I would think they're going to win the division. So the Niners are one team that everybody's going to have their eye on, especially if they happen to meet Philadelphia when the time comes sometime in January. And speaking of Philadelphia, yesterday you had the big performance on the ground. What was it? 364 yards of offense as far as rushing the ball goes. A lot of that has to do with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. But the Packers were no match, even though the score looked close as it was indicated 40-33. to But the Eagles were in complete control of this game. 
Aaron Rodgers left late with a rib injury or was an oblique where Jordan Love came in. Who knows what the status is going to be for Aaron Rodgers now moving forward. It doesn't even matter because as we all know, the Packers are done for this year. And even though they have two more years, $50 million a piece to pay Aaron Rodgers, but you got to wonder whether or not you're going to see some Jordan Love down the stretch. Not to say what he did yesterday was anything that's going to light the world on fire, but he did pitch in. I get it against a defense that was pretty much playing prevent as he came in right before the two-minute warning. But with Rodgers at 38 years of age, I guess going on 39 if he hasn't turned 39 yet, and maybe getting an eye to see what they could get out of Jordan Love over these last four or five weeks, and they still have a buy-up coming, who knows? Not to say that the Aaron Rodgers era is going to be over in Green Bay in the least because they're going to have a lot of dead cap money if they do happen to cut him. But who knows, we may see something out of Jordan Love where maybe the future does look bright once number 12 goes off into the sunset. So that's something just to keep an eye on. Other than that, LA and Kansas City, the Rams that is, what's there to discuss? I know Kansas City wasn't overly impressive in this game and you had Bryce Perkins, the backup quarterback to Matthew Stafford who we may not even see for the rest of the year. He came in and did nothing in the game, 13 for 23, 100 yards. So you know that the offense was going to be from hunger there. And this was also a bad week. They cut Daryl Henderson, the running back, earlier in the week. So the Rams, you got to wonder what's going to happen with this team because with all the decisions that they made a couple of years leading into last year, they did win a Super Bowl, but now they're going to be in cap hell. Who knows how they're going to dig themselves out of this because with the way that this whole year has gone for the Rams from the start, Losing to Buffalo the way they did on that Thursday night. What was it? The second week of September. And then now sitting at 3-8. and eight, Going nowhere fast. And you have to wonder the future of this organization. With no draft picks coming up. With all the money tied into 5 or 6 players. And now they're getting the brunt of it. With a poor Super Bowl follow up. And now where you think that they're going to have a number 1 pick coming up. Uh-uh. Not so fast. You can forget about that. So the Rams are certainly going to be planning their early season vacation sometime in the middle of next month. Or really January, because I'm already thinking that it's December. That's what you have there with the Rams and the Chiefs. Again, not spectacular, but they are 9-2 atop of the AFC. And as long as they continue to win, they're going to do fine and have themselves a one seed as they set themselves up for a deep January run. And lastly, not much to discuss here between Denver and Carolina. The big story was the defensive lineman, Mike Purcell, barking at Russell Wilson there toward the end of the game. And of course, they pretty much squashed everything in the postgame. Didn't really say too much. Two guys that are competitive, two guys that want to win, two guys in the heat of the moment just getting after one another. But the experiment there with Russell Wilson has really been abominable. And then Nathaniel Hackett, he has to get out on the rail There's no way that the new ownership of the Walton Group and we're going to really see if they're built to be a part or to manage what it's like to own a NFL team. But he has to go on a rail. There's no way that this guy should come back as coach of this team next year. And Russell Wilson, they're going to be stuck with him no matter what. They gave him that big deal here in the offseason. He's going to be the quarterback of this team over the next few years. And I don't care what offensive lineman you bring or offensive pieces to put in their lineup. And they have decent wideouts as it is to begin with. I know they're running back. They're a little bit thin. 
But for Russell Wilson and company, and if you're a fan of the Broncos, man, it may be a tough next few years to watch this team, an aging quarterback with his skills slowly but surely eroding. I don't know how this is going to play out if you're a fan of the team that plays in the Mile High City. As far as the games on Thanksgiving, Detroit, I'm sure they're kicking themselves since then as they're digesting the pumpkin pie and whatever leftovers that they've had from Thursday. Tooth and nail, back and forth. They got the field goal there late. And then with 22 seconds to go, when you're thinking that the game's going to go in overtime, the big play up the seam, Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs, and then Tyler Ross or Tyler Bass with the game-winning field goal as the Bills were able to get out of Detroit with another win because, of course, they were in Detroit there a few days ago or prior when they beat the Cleveland Browns. So for Buffalo, they keep pace with Miami in that division. Remember, Miami's in first place because of the tiebreaker that they beat the Bills in Miami. What was it, week three? So a lot of people look at the Bills as them trying to get back on track. And we'll see how that will play out as, I believe, in two weeks, Buffalo will play Miami to see where that division is going to go. Because obviously Miami wins. They're going to be in, I'm not going to say cruise control, but they'll have the inside track on winning the division where Buffalo has a lot of ground to make up if they just want to not only win a division, but chances are to put themselves in a position where they can at least get a home game. Because if they do lose to Miami and chances are lose the division, their road through the playoffs is going to be all on the road. So... We will definitely keep an eye when that matchup is forthcoming and how that will play out there in the AFC East. Then you had the Cowboys and Giants where the Cowboys were able to pull away late. The game was close midway through the third quarter and then you saw the offense of the Cowboys wake up. They were able to not only take a 28-13 lead when they were down pretty much most of the game, And then the Giants tried to make a comeback late, but that was to no avail. I didn't watch a lot of the Thanksgiving Day games only because between cooking and preparing to travel, I was local people. I didn't go anywhere far. But of course, when you're trying to piecemeal these games and to get my thoughts as to how this will play out, but the Cowboys, to no surprise, and with the Giants coming in nicked up and not a good performance there offensively. And you have to wonder about the Giants here with their great start, 7-2, and two, they now have lost two in a row. They have the Washington Commanders on the schedule here upcoming, and the Commanders have played well. So the Giants, they're really looking, kind of hate to use this analogy, but they are staring at the barrel of a shotgun right now, wondering whether or not that this season they could take a turn for the worse here as it all unfolds, or they could right the ship, They'll have 10 days off between now or Thanksgiving and the game against Commanders and see if they could steer their ship in the direction to where they had played in the first portion of the season. And now it's really going to be do or die for this team because if they lose this game, as well as losing the two games to the Cowboys, you can forget about the division. I understand they have not played the Eagles yet, but that makes their schedule and their road to the playoffs even more daunting. I think about this, people. They have not played the Commanders yet and they're going to play them two out of the next three weeks and they haven't even played the Eagles yet. So if you're thinking that they still have the sights on the playoffs in front of them, they do, but boy, they certainly have their work cut out for them. So the Giants definitely have an uphill battle and I think that they're not even going to make the playoffs considering they had their 7-2 and two start. So we'll see how that shakes down here over the course of the next few weeks. And the Cowboys, they're in good stead, in good position 
to be on the road because I don't think they're going to catch the Eagles even though they have another game left with them in December. I believe they play on Christmas Eve. But the Cowboys, of course, have been solid, bounced back nicely after that loss in Green Bay to a dominant performance in Minnesota and pretty much a cakewalk. Eh, Maybe not a cakewalk because it was competitive for two and a half quarters against the Giants. And then the nightcap, New England, Minnesota, that game turned around at 23-16 when you had the kickoff return for a touchdown and then the Vikings were able to prevail. They win 33-26, which really puts a wrinkle into New England's plans. And New England also has a very tough schedule ahead. They have to play Buffalo twice. They still have to play Miami again, although it's in New England. And the Patriots look like they had played well there. Mac Jones and out of a bad game. But it was too much Minnesota there late, even though they were competitive there. But the Vikings, who bounced back from that bad performance against the Cowboys, 9-2, and and will cruise to the NFC North division title. But the Patriots, that's one team that we're going to have to look at here when we break down the AFC and NFC playoff pictures. And we can start to put into focus. Now, here's the crazy thing. We're approaching week 13. There is still five games left on the schedule for some teams. And six for a lot. Because Green Bay still has not had their bye yet. Same for Washington and a couple of other teams. Carolina is another team that hasn't had their bye. A lot of teams have already played 11 games. So there's still six more games left to go in this season. And I kind of hate to look at it now. Usually Thanksgiving is the point where we could start to analyze and see where these teams could be headed down the stretch and see if they could pull into a playoff spot one of the top seven in each conference. But it's, I'm not going to say hard to dissect or hard to really go in. But because you have six games left, a lot could happen. I'd really want to break this down with four games to go for everybody throughout the league. But as we take a look at the standings as it is right now, in the AFC, you have Casey, obviously the one seed. Right behind them are the Dolphins. And the Dolphins and Chiefs do not play each other this year. Off the top of my head, I don't think so. It's going to come down to conference records after that. With Tennessee behind Miami with the third seed. Then you have Baltimore with the fourth seed to round out the top four in the AFC. Then you have Buffalo at the five. Granted that they have a better record than Tennessee, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and even the Jets for that matter. But again... Because the Dolphins have the edge in the AFC East, you have to put the Bills at five. Then you have the Bengals at six and the Jets at seven with the Patriots and Chargers right behind them on the outside looking in. And a lot of this is going to be tiebreakers when we go down the stretch of this season, whether it's Jets and Patriots. As we all know, the Patriots have the advantage because they swept the Jets in the regular season. Right now, it's looking good because the Jets are ahead of them. But if they do happen to tie, that's going to be a bad break. Well, not really a break, but that's going to be a bad scenario for the Jets as they try to make it into the postseason for the first time since 2010. That's how far back it goes if you're a Jet fan. And then you have Cincinnati and New England going to play later on down the stretch, which is going to be a big game in the AFC. A lot of big games that lie ahead, but we'll definitely take a look deeper into the season. Right now, that's what the AFC is looking like. 
In the NFC, it's Philadelphia, Minnesota, San Francisco, and Tampa Bay. Those are your division leaders as constituted, followed by Dallas at the five, Giants at the six, and Washington currently at the seven spot in the NFC. Follow that by Seattle at six and five. And then if you want to even throw in Atlanta, who are five and seven, that's what you have there in the NFC. And a lot obviously is going to happen here over the final six games of the season. A lot of football to be played. As I mentioned, it's even hard to handicap which team is going to be in. We can look at schedules at the moment. As I mentioned about the Giants, they have a tough haul if they want to make it to the postseason. Does Tampa, even as bad as they played, do they win a division at 9-8 and eight or even 8-9? and nine, If I want to throw that in, considering that they're 5-6. and six. Still a lot more, and I wish we could kind of look at this from a final four-game stretch because usually once we get past Thanksgiving... We would get to early December, and then from there, is there would be four more games to go. Not the case, as we all know, with the extra game and the extra week tacked on. So there's still plenty of football to be played, not only into December, but of course, with still six more weeks to go here in this NFL season. Now, as I turn my attention to the college ranks and what a weekend it was for college football, and highlighted by the Michigan-Ohio State game, very shocked to see that. I figured that Columbus would have been rocking, and it was, but certainly would have been salivating at the thought of trying to get at the Wolverines the way that Michigan did so in the big house last year to the Buckeyes, but that was not the case. The Ohio State defense let them down in the worst way. When you give up five plays of 45 yards or more that turned into scores, and two of them in the fourth quarter won a 75-yard run only to be topped by an 85-yard run, That's as bad as it gets, and there was no way that Ohio State deserved to win this game. This was all Wolverines, pretty much. And granted that the game was tooth and nail to start when you got into the third, and then especially in the fourth quarter, that's when the game turned on a dime. And C.J. Stroud, even as they're trying to march down the field to get the game closer, maybe to within one score, and you know that they were going to try to get to within one score because it was 38-23. And again, this was when at 31-23, Donovan... Edwards had the 75-yard touchdown run. But as the Buckeyes were trying to march down the field to try to get the game closer, whether it be 38-30 or 38-31, it just so happened that the quarterback that a lot of people thought was going to be a Heisman Trophy leader in a 1-CJ Stroud, I get it, he was trying to make a play there, but as he was falling to the turf, just threw the ball up in the air, intercepted, that was pretty much the game. And then it was iced by the 85-yard run to where the Wolverines went all the way back to Michigan, was riding high, dethroning for the second year in a row the Buckeyes and the big rivalry there in college football. Ohio State, just a tremendous letdown there defensively. There isn't anything more that you could say or even ask. That was just an atrocity there. And give it up. I didn't think that the Wolverines were going to have it in them this year. And even though that they've been formidable, we understand that the schedule's been weak, but... They showed up and they did everything that I ever thought that they could do. And as far as I can imagine, but boy, that was just a dominant performance. Was it more the Ohio State defense than it was the Michigan offense? I'm going to give the credit not only to Michigan, but again, the story of this game was their defense. And the Buckeyes were just god-awful. That's the only way you could cut it. And if you're Ohio State right now, you're hoping, praying, fingers crossed, 
that you could somehow, some way, get in through the back door because after that performance, there's no way that they deserve to be in this discussion for the college football playoff. And as it is, they're currently ranked fifth in the country. And I'll get to the reason why that's the case, and let's get right to it. LSU, with a, I'm not going to say pathetic performance, it wasn't just that bad. I don't want to say that they were overlooking the Aggies here because with the SEC championship game, This coming week, maybe they thought that they had their sights set on Georgia before they could even think about what they had in front of them. Now, the game was close against Texas A&M, but what turned on a dime at 17-all, the big fumble there, which was recovered by the Aggies and returned for a touchdown there, 27 yards by Damani Richardson, midway through the third quarter, and that opened up the floodgates for the Aggies to pull away from the Tigers to win 38-23. And LSU, who a lot of people thought that maybe USC should have been the fifth-ranked team in the country. Well, now, bye-bye to LSU. Three losses. And even if they do beat Georgia this coming Saturday, LSU is not going to make it to the Final Four. And I don't care what people are going to say as far as what LSU did this year, beating Alabama and having some of these victories the way they... No, 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 no. LSU, forget about it. Three losses is not going to get you in to the college football playoff. Now, Georgia, even if they do lose, they'll still be in the college football top four. And I'll get to that in a minute. But you had TCU roll over Iowa State, so all they need to do is win against Kansas State to put themselves in a position to be a part of the college football playoff. Then you had USC against Notre Dame. I'm not going to say there were no match, but the Trojans were in control against the Irish. Caleb Williams looks like is going to be the front runner to win the Heisman Trophy this year as the Trojans win comfortably. So with their win and Ohio State losing... USC moves up to your top four as they're now fourth in the country where Ohio State goes from two down to five. And it has come down to this. It's going to be five teams for four spots. I don't think even with Alabama now ranked sixth in the country with their two losses, I don't think that the committee is going to allow them to come in. Now this would be based on whether or not TCU and USC both lose. Because I think even if Georgia loses, they're going to be in. Even if TCU loses to Kansas State, I think they're going to be in as well. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of arguments for people to think that if Kansas State, let's say if they beat them soundly, I don't think that Kansas State's going to blow them out. But if Kansas State wins a 28-20 or 30-21 type game, people are going to think that TCU belongs out of the college football playoff mix. I don't think that's going to be the case. Right now, TCU is what? Ranked third in the country because Michigan only moved up one spot after beating Ohio State. But if both TCU and USC lose to Utah, and that could be a possibility because Utah can score, does that mean Ohio State and Alabama now all of a sudden have a chance to move in? I think Ohio State has a chance if that's the case, and they're going to be, like as I mentioned, fingers crossed and all. But even if both the Horned Frogs and Trojans lose, I think TCU will still be a part of the equation there and I think you'll see Ohio State leapfrog USC to be the fourth team that'll be part of the college football mix and that would be a very interesting final four because you will have Michigan TCU as it stands right now and I think even if TCU were to lose they'll probably still be ranked number three the only reason why I say that is because let's just say it does break to where both the Horned Frogs and Trojans lose. Even if TCU goes to four, 
Ohio State's not going to leapfrog TCU because then that means you're going to have Michigan-Ohio State again in the semifinal. And I don't think the committee's going to want that. I think they'll keep TCU the way it is, let them play Michigan, and then have Ohio State play Georgia. And then you'll have a scenario to where you may have a rematch between Michigan and Georgia for the national title game. And I'll get to Michigan in a second. But I would think TCU, it should remain chalk. They'll be able to win USC. And with the way they played, you would think that they're going to roll to a college football playoff. And then you'll have Georgia, USC, Michigan, TCU. But a lot could happen. And of course, this time next week, we'll recap it as far as the conference title games to see what USC will do, TCU, even Michigan, because they'll play Purdue and Georgia, even though they should be fine against LSU, but they'll make it to the college football top four, regardless whether they win 30 to nothing or lose 30 to nothing, they're going to be in good shape. But Michigan is going to be the interesting story here because with them winning and them not having to worry about whether or not they do lose to Purdue, they're still going to make it into the Final Four. And I know people from Ohio State are going to think differently. But Michigan is in a good position and a good spot for them to make it. But now Michigan has to show up here. I get it last year. It could have been a year with them beating Ohio State at home. And not to say that they were just happy to be in the Final Four, but they played Georgia and we know how that unfolded. Now it's a spot where chances are they may play TCU and TCU will be in the deep end of the pool. Michigan, I'm sure they're going to show them who's boss being a top-ranked team here over the last couple of years. And then they could go ahead and face, in all likelihood, Georgia for the national title game. This is it for Michigan. Not to say that this is their time, but they could certainly show themselves and the rest of the college football world that they mean business, that they should be able to go ahead and beat a team like TCU or even USC for that matter if it just so happens to break that way. But for the Wolverines and for Jim Harbaugh, this is their time. They have to make it to the championship game. And even if they do lose against Purdue, which would be bad, but like I mentioned, they'll make it to the college football Final Four. But now they have to show up. They have to be on that final stage. They have to be on that national championship level to the point where, okay, they could lose to Georgia if they do play them, but they can't go there with everything that happened this year and you want to even couple it with last year as a building block to get to this year. To me, it's championship game or bust. And that may not be saying a lot or going out on a limb, but the spotlight is going to be on Michigan to get to a national title game. That's all there is to it. TCU... They have house money. Even USC would have house money if they are the final two teams ranked out of the top four. Georgia, we all know that they're defending national champs. So the spotlight is going to be burning on Ann Arbor and for the Wolverines to not only get to the title game, but what they do in the title game is going to be just as important. Do I think they could do it? Obviously, they had a big year. I think if they go up against Georgia... It'll probably be a better game than it was last year. And who knows? Do they have a chance to win? Of course. But that Georgia Express train is going to be tough to stop. Even if they do lose to LSU in some inexplicable manner. But I think they'll be fine no matter what. And that's your college football. Again, forget about Alabama. Forget about Tennessee. Forget about some of these other teams. I think it's going to boil down to these five teams for the four spots. And again, Ohio State, they're going to be 
fingers, arms, legs, eyes crossed to see if either TCU or USC, I think both of them would have to lose in order for them to get at least into the fourth spot. And I understand that even if USC loses and Ohio State, they can leapfrog them. And who knows, chances are they probably would only because USC will have two losses and then Ohio State will just have the one loss and then you'll have Ohio State go up against Georgia. So I think they'll be fine, but I'm sure they would want to even hope for TCU to somehow lose. But even if USC does not prevail against Utah, that the Buckeyes will be a part of this college football playoff mix. So we will definitely reconvene next Monday. Obviously, we have another podcast come Thursday, but when the dust settles after this coming weekend, we will have a better picture and I'm sure a clearer picture as to who will be the Final Four come New Year's Eve to face off against one another to set themselves up for a shot at the national championship. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention to the NBA. Let's put on the high tops here because the one storyline coming out And when you look at the Western Conference, and to me, that's what it is right now. I get it. We could look at Ben Simmons and that whole scenario last week in Philadelphia. It's already six days old. There isn't anything else I could get into there. He did play pretty well for him. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. They did lose the game, even without Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and James Harden, which that's not a good look. But I think Philly was looking more of that as a game, knowing that the crowd was going to be behind them. It was going to be raucous, and it was. And give it up. A lot of credit goes to Ben Simmons. He thought that the boos were going to be a lot louder than they were. And although he didn't have a great game, but he, like I said, was good, even in a loss. But that's as far as I'm going to get with that story with Ben Simmons last week. But the Western Conference, when we look at the records on a whole, and not to break them down team by team, but overall, when you think about it, how is it that the top 11 teams, and remember, You have 7 through 10, you have to also include, but the 11 team is just a half game behind. But the top 11 teams in the conference are separated by four games. Four. And I understand we're just about, what, a quarter into the season? So it's not to get too crazy. It's not to say, ooh, look what's happening in the Western Conference. It's not as if we're at the All-Star break or in the middle of March where we could really dissect this. But when you have Phoenix at 13 and 6, and then Dallas, although they're a game under 500, but really four games back, and with nine teams in between, it either speaks to the level of competition in the conference overall, or it just speaks to how bad that these teams have not gotten off to the starts that they've had gotten off to. For instance, the Utah Jazz, I was praising them or had to eat crow considering that the Jazz got off to a 10-4 and start, And I looked at my over-under number, which I think Utah will still surpass. What was it, 24 and a half? But since then, they have come back to earth in more ways than one as they're just two games over 500. And even Portland, who got off to that torrid start, and they were here in the New York area over the weekend where they split with the Knicks and the Nets, winning at Madison Square Garden, but then losing yesterday at the Barclays Center. They are two games over 511 and nine. And don't look now, but even the Lakers are starting to make a little bit of a charge. Remember, the Lakers were, what, 2-10? and 10, And now they are winners of five of the last six. And they had an interesting week, to say the least. Not only Patrick Beverly getting suspended three games, and rightfully so. Why the hell did he blindside and push DeAndre Ayton to the ground? I get it that DeAndre Ayton should have been standing over Austin Reeves as if that's some sort of statement. 
please give me a break. But for Patrick Beverly to just literally blindside this guy with a block in the back and Aiton goes flying and Beverly who did this last year or a couple of years ago if you remember against the Phoenix Suns to Chris Paul there in that game six of the Western Conference Final. So Beverly, I get it that he's a guy that you want to have on your team if you're rooting for him. He's an underdog type player, chip on his shoulder, plays with an attitude, plays with a little arrogance. But then again, these are the warts that you see with him because despite the fact that he said that he's going to stick up for his teammates and that's all he was doing, but was that the way to do it? Absolutely not. You want to get around and get into his face, granted that he's probably given up, what, 8 to 10 inches to DeAndre Ayton, but that would have shown me a little bit more something if you got in his face and you want to point a finger or do something like that, as opposed to giving him a cheap shot, which is that exactly what he did there last Tuesday. And then you also had a scenario a couple of nights ago where Russell Westbrook got a shot to the face by Zach Collins in San Antonio, and then he got up all crazed with blood dripping down his face. But the Lakers are playing well here. And who knows if this is going to be a bit of a turning of the corner considering that the Western Conference has pretty much come back to the pack and that there hasn't been any separation here which does break well for the Lakers. So let's see if they can capitalize on this. Again, we knew that even with their start that they couldn't dig themselves more of a hole and 7-Eleven isn't anything to sneeze about or get crazy. But knowing that they have got themselves back in winning ways and even though Anthony Davis has been out with a calf contusion I believe he's not going to play against Indiana in their next game but the Lakers may have to be a team not that you're going to have to really pay attention to but because of the way the West has started to break down here this is where the Lakers can kind of sneak up and inch back into the top 10 seeds currently they are two games behind the Timberwolves for that 10th spot But knowing that they played well and that they have kind of gotten themselves back on track, you wonder whether or not this is going to be a Laker team that's going to maybe now inch closer or even improve to the point where they could be part of this discussion even with another, what, 60 games to go. And I understand it's early, can't get crazy, etc. But we shall see. And other than that in the NBA, there hasn't been much else to get into or to discuss I know even a team like Sacramento, it's funny as I look here, they rank in the top six. Now, they were winners of seven in a row before losing their last two games, but even Sacramento has played well, and that just goes to show you how crazy the Western Conference is when you have a team like Sacramento who's played well. Also, Golden State, who has now gotten themselves back on track to where they're above 500, and they are now in the discussion where they're at least between seven and ten in the Western Conference. So a logjam to say the least and let's see if that will continue here as we get into the month of December. As far as the Eastern Conference, the Celtics continue to play well and they've been tarred 16-4, best record in the sport. Bucks have played well here. Even Luka yesterday in their matchup said that by far he's the best player in the NBA and that's Luka saying that who obviously is a top five player in the sport. And the rest of the conference is as is. I know the... Cavaliers have played well, though they had a little bit of a bad stretch there after that 8-1 start. The Pacers have been very good here at 11-8, and and who knows if there's going to be a trade consummated. I know there's been a lot of rumors. Miles Turner, Buddy Heald for Russell Westbrook. If I'm the Pacers, I'm not going to do that. I get it that he's going to be an expiring contract. And even though 
Russell Westbrook could look at that scenario and be like, hey, now I have my team. I don't have to worry about being in the shadow of LeBron and AD. But still, if I'm the Pacers, I will go nowhere near Russell Westbrook. So I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of that here over the course of the next day or so. Then you have the Hawks, Sixers, who have been a little bit better. More so the Sixers than the Hawks as as they've lost two in a row. And Brooklyn still trying to find their footing. Same for Miami as they've won three in a row and now they're currently 10th. The Knicks not playing well. You got to wonder a little bit about the status of a one Tom Thibodeau. I get it that this Knicks team should have been a little bit better here with Jalen Brunson in the mix as well as Julius Randle. But for whatever the reason, they haven't been able to get on track. As I mentioned, they lost to Portland a couple of nights ago and then they lose, lose to the Grizzlies there yesterday. Both games at home. I get it against very good opponents, but if you're at home... Not to say the Knicks should beat these teams, but you figure because you're at home and because these teams only come into their building once every year that you figured you'd have a little bit of a better showing. I know the game against the Blazers was a little bit closer, but that's the Knicks for you. And then the rest of the conference you could pretty much forget from Chicago, Charlotte, Orlando, Detroit on down. So that's what's pretty much the latest and greatest there in the association. As I turn my attention to the ice... I know you had a terrible passing there, and it was expected. Longtime Maple Leaf defenseman going back to the 80s, and into, it goes back to the 70s, of course, but played the bulk of his career in the 80s, and then later on, a couple of years in Detroit, Borey Salming, who had ALS and his condition was just getting worse by the day, passed away at the young age of 71 years old. A legend there for the Maple Leafs. A lot of bad teams in Toronto throughout the course of that time that he was there. But he was a guy that one of the early implementation of players coming over from Europe to play in the National Hockey League. And he had a great career. I understand that he may not have been the top defenseman. He came close to winning a Norris Trophy defenseman in the 80s a couple of times, but never made it to that point. But for the Maple Leafs, with their standing in the league, And I get it that they haven't won a Stanley Cup in forever, but they do have a very rich tradition. And a player like Salming was indicative of that. Very tough player. Not tough as far as fisticuffs, but just had that will. Had that incident there with Gerard Gallant, the Ranger coach of today, but back then was a player with the Detroit Red Wings to where an errant skate blade caught his face to where he had to get constructive or reconstructive Facial surgery, 200 stitches that went from his lower cheek through his eye. And oh, just a, if you could see the pictures online, you could just Google it and find out for yourself. But that is indicative of the type of toughness, the type of player that he was. And just sad that at the early age of 71, he transitioned. So thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Salming family. Another loss that we've had here over the last... X amount of months, whether your name is Mike Bossy, as we know, just, what was it, four or five months ago in the middle of the summer, and just a lot of these legends and great players, Hall of Famers, just passing uh, way too soon. So that's what we have, unfortunately, on that front. But as far as the NHL on a whole, again, I sound like a broken record with the Bruins continuing the win at home, 12 straight, a record to start off the regular season. So that's something that we have not seen. So kudos to the Bruins and what they've done here in the early part of their year. 18-3, and 36 points. And you would think that that would be tops in the NHL. Actually, it goes a tie with them and the Devils. Now, they had their losing streak snapped 
in the middle of last week. In fact, I believe it was right before the Thanksgiving holiday. But the Devils, who actually lost to the aforementioned Maple Leafs, they now have won back-to-back games. Devils with 18 wins tied with the Boston Bruins. No overtime losses. So obviously, if you do the math, that's 36 points. And they've been phenomenal here throughout the course of the last month or so. Other than that, you got really nothing else to get into here. You wonder if the John Tortorella coaching spot in Philadelphia, if that's starting to wear out on the players as they've lost 10 straight. So that's something that you have to watch out for in Philadelphia. Not to say that Tortorella is going to be out in the next few days, but if stories start to leak, whether Tortorella has been grinding on the players' souls and spirits, who knows? But that's not a pretty sight there. And besides that, the Kraken have been impressive with a five-game winning streak. And remember, they were just inaugurated last year in the league and they were pretty much at the bottom of the Pacific Division. But now they've actually played pretty well here to the tune of five straight, 8-1-1 in their last 10. So maybe the Kraken we could take seriously out West. Other than that, nothing much there in the NHL. I know the Blues have played better here. Remember, the Blues had an eight-game losing streak and they've turned their fortunes around to where they've won eight of the last 10, eight and two throughout the course of this stretch. But the rest of the NHL, pretty much everything is status quo here, people. I know the Rangers have not played well here and I've been surprised by how they performed. I thought they'd be closer to the top of the division. 24 points after a little bit over a quarter of the start of the season. Not very good if you're a Ranger fan. And that's what I have here. I know the Panthers, Lightning have been trudging along here. Red Wings have been impressive and they've been a bottom feeder in the NHL over the last few seasons. So that's what you got here in the NHL as we now get into the latter part of this month. Just a couple of days left and with December right on the horizon. As far as the hot stove in baseball, now that I break out the batting gloves and the helmet, all is quiet on that front. I know there have been some signings here when we look at what has taken place, and they've been minor, nothing really to get crazy about, whether you're Mike Clevenger signing with the White Sox, and Clevenger, who had a bad postseason, as we saw with the Padres, Carlos Santana goes from Seattle to Pittsburgh to sign for one year, I guess Santana is looking to be a mentor for a young Pirate team, to be that veteran, to lead his team, to see what the Pirates could do, and they have a lot of Good players in their farm system, so who knows? Maybe for one year, and not to say that Carl Santana is this perennial winner who's been on winning teams, but they bring him in for that leadership role, so kudos to the Pirates for doing that. Other than that, you had Hunter Renfro being traded from the Brewers to the Angels to add a little bit, little bit more depth in that lineup. Renfro's bounced around here over the years from... Tampa, Milwaukee, San Diego. He's been all over the map pretty much. So now you have a scenario where you have him in a lineup with Trout, Rendon, if he could ever stay healthy, the first baseman in Walsh, obviously Otani. So let's see what that will do for an Angel team that is really looking to change the outlook of their team, knowing that Otani could be trade bait this coming off season, or at some point maybe in the upcoming season, even though he has a big, what was it, 20 some odd, $25 million contract upcoming, but we know he's going to be a free agent after next year. So let's see if that does any well or any good for the Angels as we still have plenty of time to go. I mean, we're not even into the teeth 
of the offseason, which will commence next week in the winter meetings. And I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of rumors and a lot of things percolating at that time. But one thing I will say, Aaron Judge this visit to San Francisco and everything has been reported. How promising that the giant front office looked at this meeting that they had and everything that you could pretty much try to get crazy about if you're a giant fan or being in the Bay Area as he came back home. And to me, until I hear about numbers being thrown around or until I hear any seriousness by their camp, and I understand they're going to try to keep it under wraps for now. Maybe they don't want to let the cat out the bag. But until I really start to hear some numbers get thrown around, as if, let's say the Giants said, yeah, we're willing to give you 10 for $360 million, and now let's see what the Yankees are going to counter with, then we can really start talking. But right now, that's all it is. It's talk. The Dodgers at this present moment, they want to pare down payroll, so they're not looking to add, even though the rumors were maybe putting Mookie Betts at second and then have Judge play right field. In the immortal words, I'll believe it when I see it. So that's what you have. Other than that, nothing else is really percolating on the Jacob DeGrom or even Justin Verlander front, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, all these players that are big prizes here in this offseason. Nothing has been bandied about other than the mention about Judge going to San Francisco and even then. All right, everything was great with the meeting. But what about dollars and cents? Because as we all know, that's what it's going to boil down to. It doesn't matter whether or not he met with Steph Curry and he's trying to recruit him to come back to the area where Aaron Judge just grew up about an hour and a half from outside of Sacramento. All that could be, he could have brought the whole Warrior team, Steve Kerr, etc. Doesn't matter. That's not going to sway me to think, oh yeah, he's definitely going to San Francisco. No, let's talk dollars, cents, people, and then let's see where we're at then. But until that moment, I'm not going to go crazy about the recruitment of the Giants and Aaron Judge. That's what you have with the baseball. As far as the Hall of Fame ballot, I want to save that to Thursday's podcast. I know the new ballot came out where Carlos Beltran is headlining that. But again, I want to keep this concise. I want to get to the soccer real quick. So we have that podcast on Thursday to chew on as well as to get into the college football and the NFL schedule, which have a pretty good Thursday night game. And I'll save all that for them. But right now, I just want to get to the soccer, which has been big here. A lot of upsets over the past week. We saw what happened there with Germany losing to Japan. And then you had a draw yesterday between Spain and Germany. So that was obviously a big match for both teams. Two big favorites there in the tournament. And of course, they're going to move on. You also had Argentina lose as they got upset by Saudi Arabia. But as I mentioned on my social media feeds, to me, That isn't anything to sweat over or to get too crazy because you know they'd bounce back and then they beat Mexico. They actually shut them out 2-0. So they'll be able to move on and everything will be fine and dandy there. You had Belgium lose to Morocco, which that was a huge upset to where you had people out in the streets in Belgium lighting up cars and going crazy there. So this first week has been intriguing with the upsets and with some of the games that have been played, even USA where they had to tie against Wales last Monday. And USA, I'm sure they're kicking themselves. They have a game against Iran today, which is huge, because if they win, at least they'll be able to move on. And everything that's happened there with the flag and trying to blame the U.S., taking off the crest of the flag and all that controversy, which I'm not going to get into. But with the U.S. team tying England there, and then on Friday to a 0-0 draw, and then now with Iran today, This is imperative for them to win 
And maybe if they can win by a bigger margin, that will bode well for them to get to the next round. So we'll see what happens there. And then Wales will play England to round out the opening round. And speaking of Wales, when Iran shut out Wales, I can only imagine what the U.S. team thought, knowing that they weren't able to pull out that game last Monday. But big games here today. We know Canada is out of the tournament. So that's one team that we won't see. And not that they were going to be any threat here in this tournament. But they are no longer a part of this World Cup. So now as we get after today and we get deeper into the next round, we'll get to see what these matchups will be like where we still have obviously the big dogs, whether it's Brazil, whether it's Argentina, Spain, Germany, all the big teams, obviously they're still going to be around. And now as we get to this next round, we will see the whole knockout as to who's going to survive and who's going to be able to move on as we get into week two of this World Cup tournament. And... So far, has it been exciting? Have I watched? I've peeked in here and there, but I haven't been able to really go full-fledged on one full game. I'll be able to absorb some of it more this week. Again, it's the opening round. As we get deeper into this, I'll get into more of what's happening, some of the storylines and some of the things that I mentioned here, whether you know is with the USA or with some of the other teams, especially when it comes to the heavyweights of this tournament. But I know for the stretches that I've watched, and I know that I'm going to be in in the minority here, but the games aren't really exciting, people. I mean, who are we kidding? A lot of it is in the middle of the field, and that's all I'm going to say for now. I don't want to kill the sport. I don't want to throw ice-cold water on it. But as we get deeper into it, and I'm going to follow it a lot more closely, you're going to get a full analysis as to what I think and how I feel about these games, whether it's thrilling, exciting, nail-biting, etc., or just flat out boring but the World Cup does continue as well as the podcast as I will reconvene with you all on Thursday because that's it for this episode back after a week off good to be back good to be here with you guys and gals as we now get into the month of December the next episode will be into the final month if you could believe it I sure can't because time just flies by as we all know but of course Stay grounded, people. Stay present as we go through this together. And for those who have tuned in for the first time, thank you so much. I hope you come on back for many more episodes to come. And for those who have been with me, whether from the beginning or somewhere in the middle, thank you so much for your participation, for your support. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility to let the word out, to let people know that the j Reels podcast not only talks about one sport, two, three, you know, he talks about them all and tries to do it in one concise hour. So it's not as if you're going to be bored after the first 10 minutes or, oh, you have to wait. No, all you have to do is just fast forward to the sport that you love. You can see it there, time stamped on the description and away you go. So once again, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, family, the sports fan in your life. Again, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or even suggestions, you could do so at the following on my social media accounts, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number, email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow back. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, I'll have a post up later this week as we get to the month of December. You could do so. 
Patreon.com slash the Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate your contribution. That will go to the upkeep of the website, to the production on a whole, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. This is my passion. This is what I've been not only doing pretty much since I've come out of the womb, but I will continue to do so as long as I'm alive and breathing. Because yes, there are plenty of other outlets out there, and rightfully so, but this is your one-stop shopping for anything and everything that has to do with sports. And especially when it comes to what it is I have to say, whether it's my critiques, praise, thoughts, opinions, analysis, on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>